Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... You make sure that you're not the person that people of faith have to avoid. You want the people of faith to come to you. You don't want to be the naysayer, right? I know people that if I bring up a faith thing, I know people that their knee-jerk response is how it won't work. I don't want to hear that. I'm not interested in how it won't work. I'm also, I'm not asking people to make up, you know, fanciful tales about how it will work. But if God is saying do something, that's all I need to hear from somebody. Somebody come to me and say, bro, I'm praying and God has spoke to me this. Wow. Every step we take is met with discouragement from someone in our family or circle of friends. They usually discourage us from moving forward and taking the next step. On certain occasions, we are the ones that demoralize other people in every way. In today's message, Pastor Bill describes how faith can affect your life. Having faith benefits everyone around you as well as yourself. Similarly, you can find friends who support you in taking initiative and who also have faith in your ability to be successful. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 14, as he continues his message, Venture of Faith. My buddy Ray Dash, uh, pastor of the church in the projects in Newark. We met in 2000, and I'm telling you, we met at a youth workers conference and the Lord just went wham. We became instantly, it was like, bro, we had all these things in common. That was my bro. We were young. 20-something at the time, married, we had kids. We were both helping out in youth ministry at the churches we were at. I wanted to do something in Inglewood. He had a heart to do something where he grew up at, Newark. And that's always been our conversation. Well, he got started first. And I remember when he first started, I got to go out there with him. And he had a church in the back of a garage on a street where it was a cracked street where, I mean, literally, if you're standing at the roll of this garage for church, right there was the cracks dealers. They were dealing crack all service, you know, and then they were right there. I mean, it was in the hood. Uh, I mean, but I was blessed to be there with them watching the Lord start the work. It was uh, they were bringing in propane inside. I realized now that was not very safe, but we, it was doing what you could do. But I watched the Lord bless that. Um, I watched the church grow and move from place to place. He ended up in this, this building that he's in now. And for years we were praying because he, he had a full time job that you know, he made good money. He's like, man, but I really feel like God wants to let that go and just serve the Lord full time. But, you know, I don't I don't know. I don't, the church will never be able to pay me the church over here. You know, there's, it's in the hood. You know, people are I, I mean, my church, his church is at the projects. So the people don't have very much. The giving is very low. Um, but he took a step of faith. We prayed and prayed and prayed. He's like, bro, I'm, I need to be here. And amazing what God did. Some other church in Arizona heard about what he was doing, called and said, hey, I want to come down with some of my. Uh, my admin guys and whatever want to see what's happening and come. They came out and they just observed the work that was happening and the kids and the people that were being ministered to. And they said, bro, we want you to come home full time. Tell us what you get paid. And they put up something together for him and they put up. They basically brought him home and paid him to be there full time, was assisting him in some of the work that he was doing. Uh, and I mean, to me, it was you have to know that was miraculous that some outside group, he didn't even know them called in and said, hey, bro, we're going to do this. And this is my buddy, but I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm on the phone rejoicing like God is amazing. God is so faithful that now you can do that full time. You're here. And he serves the Lord there. God, there's a parsonage at the church. It's, you know, we could go on and on with them stories. But when I see God move, I'm like, God, you're faithful. When, when we put our heart to to do your work, you just, you know, what, what can't God do? You know, what can't he provide? So um, so let's move on now. Look at verse 24. 
So this is a great day. Israel's had a great victory. God has brought about amazing things. And then Saul. So verse 24. And the men of Israel were the men of Israel were distressed that day. Now, why would they be distressed on a wonderful day like this? We just had a victory. We whomped on the Philistines. Why are they distressed? Because for Saul had placed the people under an oath saying, cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Now, Saul didn't start the fight. He jumped in on the tail end and Saul said, now that the fight's going, I'm a leader. I got to say something. Cursed be anybody that eats any food until my enemies are all wiped out. Yeah, said Saul. <laughs> That's essentially what he does. And so y'all realize how dumb this is. I wish he had a finished seeking God because this is not very helpful because now we're going to find the men. They're distressed. They're like, bro, we hungry. We out here scrapping in the sun. We climbing uphill. We, we need food. We need substance. And now you've made us fast while we serve. We, we out here fasting and fighting. So they're weakened in the battle and, and, and because of Saul. So, again, a few things here. Some people speak because they have something to say. And some people speak because they just want to say something. Don't be that person. Right. Save it up. Make sure you gonna open up your mouth. Make sure you got something to say. I got I got something to say a, a value for, for the others. Saul, I think he got up and just said, I, I got to say something. This is a kingly moment. We're having victory. I'm the guy. Everybody. Hey. King, King, you know, give me your attention. And he piped up. And then what he says is the one, the first thing he says out of his mouth is the saddest thing to happen. It ruined the whole day. He asked, we're going to fast until all my enemies are destroyed. That's what we're going to do. Um, that's just sad that he did this. Then, then, you know, the, the oath that he makes, um, cursed is the man who eats anything, right? Pronounces a curse. Anybody that eats something today is cursed. And we're going to find out a little bit that it ends up being his son. The only person that weren't there were Jonathan and, and his armor bearer. They was out there getting their scrap on. They didn't hear this curse. And so, you know, that's, they're going to go eat something. So Saul, who hadn't led any battle, he hadn't caused any victory, has opened up his mouth to bring about great grief on a day that God was blessing. And so I, I just encourage us that we would not be someone that talks big, but serves little, right? He hadn't done anything. Look how he's talking so big, but he had done nothing. We want to serve big and talk little. At this point, we haven't heard a word from Jonathan, yet we've seen what God has done through him. Saul having done a cotton picking thing and he opened up in his mouth, wrecking shop on everybody else for the day. And so um, moving on, look at verse 25. Now all the people of the land came to a forest and there was honey on the ground. Now, for you guys don't know, honey is a, a food. Runners, cyclists, you know, they want a quick boost of energy. Just mm, eat some honey. It's great for that. Right. These guys are walking. They're famished. They're tired. And they look, look, on the, right in front of us, man, there's honey. And there's a curse on you if you eat it. So they can't eat it. And when the people had come into the woods, there was honey dripping. But no one had put his hand to his mouth for the people feared the oath. And I want you to think about how, how if you're walking through and there's, everybody's looking at dripping honey and they want it, but because of Saul, they can't have it. How do you think that made them feel about Saul? It'd be like being, you know, tired, you're hungry, you're walking through and whatever you like to eat. You know, you're just walking through trees of fried chicken or hamburger trees or whatever. You got, you got good stuff all around you. And Esau said, we can't eat it. You just got to walk by it on your way. You know, so verse 27 but Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. 
Therefore, he stretched out the end of his rod that was in his hand, dipped it in the honeycomb, put his hand to his mouth and his countenance brightened. As soon as he ate it, life came back. He just his countenance brightened up after he ate it. Then verse 28, one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, cursed is a man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. So all the people were there. That means the people were weak. Jonathan was the only one because he didn't hear about it. He ate some. And so uh, verse 29 now. But Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better would it be if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found? Now, would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? And I want you to note this. Jonathan, he's bummed out about his dad. He says, man, my dad has troubled Israel today. We would have had a better slaughter. This little bit of honey I ate, what it did, if everybody had eaten freely, we would have had a bigger victory today than what we had with everybody walking around here fainting and half dead because they couldn't eat nothing. And so, uh, again, I look at this and I think, how sad, man, because I would, you know, I love a good father son situation. I would love for Saul to be this amazing dad, walking in faith, making good decisions. And Jonathan, his son, following behind, just walking in the steps of dad, taking his own steps of faith. And Jonathan's like, man, dad is sitting down. I'm going to go to war. I done went to war. And we got a victory. We come back. We celebrate. Now I find out my dad done made a dumb oath. And now everybody's faint and tired. And now there's a curse on me as well. And so in all this, again, I look back to Saul and think, had he just finished seeking the Lord? Had he spent some time with the Lord, um, maybe none of this is the case. But again, as I look at verse 29, I'm reminded about verse one. This is why he didn't tell his dad. And the Holy Spirit put that there for us to read. There was a reason why he didn't bother telling his dad. You make sure that you're not the person that people of faith have to avoid. You want the people of faith to come to you. You don't want to be the naysayer, right? I know people that if I bring up a faith thing, I know people that their knee jerk response is how it won't work. I don't want to hear that. I'm not interested in how it won't work. I'm also I'm not asking people to make up, you know, fanciful tales about how it will work. But if God is saying do something, that's all I need to hear from somebody. Somebody come to me and say, bro, I'm praying and God has spoke to me this. Wow. That would be if God does that. It'd be let's pray. Let me pray with you and let's see. Let's see what God does. You know, uh, I would I would much rather stand with you in faith than the naysay you. Um, that's kind of bring up the natural stuff. But what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't? What if it doesn't work out? What if you don't get enough? <laughs> all that kind of stuff, right? That's to me, that's all, the devil's already doing that. The devil's already trying to squash out the work of faith that you want to do. Anybody ever take a step of faith? He, the devil be right there saying, that's not going to work out. You don't have enough for that. That's going to fail. It's not going to work. Can I tell you that so many ministry ventures that I've, I've attempted, uh, how the enemy was just there? The first time we did a men's retreat with this church. I came from a big church, right? Mega church. And we would have you know, men's retreats. Hundreds of men would come out. And, and I wanted to do men's events with our guys and take them to the mountains and go to retreat. And so and we're a small church. And so uh, we start planning the men's retreat and you got to give a minimum to the camps. And so you got to give them a number and, and you got, you know, all right, we're locked in at this many guys. And if, if you get less than that, you got to pay for all the guys that don't come. And once it was all done, contract was in and we do not have excess money. So I'm like, we need everybody to go. Got to pay. Um, and I'm praying. The enemy's like, why did you sign that? This is a bad decision. I mean, he, he was in my ears the first year we signed up. I remember we planned. I said we 50 guys was a minimum that we could 45 or 50 guys is a minimum. So I had to sign that up. I knew for sure we had about 20 something. 
And I was just in faith, like, God, help us, you know. And I never forget, I still have the picture of the first men's advance that we did. I think every guy in Calvary Chapel Inglewood went. And we ended up with like three over what we had to have. But if I tell you the enemy was there, I had a moment where I could pull out. And he was like, you pull, pull out. It's going to blow up in your face. You're going to not be able to pay your rent. You're not blah, blah, blah. The rent for the church and all this kind of stuff. But it went. And it was amazing. And there were guys that had never been on a men's retreat that had gone to that retreat. And it was like, man, and all I could think of coming down the hill after was like, we would have missed out on this. All that God did, we would have missed this, you know, worrying about some dollars and cents. Never again. You know, never again. I'm just going to tell Satan to shut up in the first place, you know. And there are many things like that where the Lord will give you something that he wants to do and it's beyond you. This is what faith is. Faith is I got to trust you to, to make it work out. It's not we don't have the we don't have the stuff to do this. But I'm God, I believe you're saying do it. So we're going to do it at your word. I'll say this about faith. Faith is always in something or someone. So you want your faith to be in God or in God's word, uh, the mistake that kind of faith movement type people make is they put faith in what they want. So let's say I, I get my eye on something that I want. It's a car I like out there, you know? And, and they'll say things like this, I'm believing God for that car. Now, did God say you was gonna get that car? No, you just want that car. Don't believe God for it, go work for it, you know? Ask God if you can have it, but don't, don't, don't put faith on that, right? That's not how faith, faith is, if you go through Hebrews 11 and we look at the hall of faith, which is the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to highlight for you faith, what it looks like. People that, that did it well. This is what you'll see in Hebrews 11. There's not one person in Hebrews 11 that attained things by faith, but they accomplished great things for God by faith. The chapter rolls out and by faith, they did this by faith. They received the dead by faith. She had a child by faith. He did this by they did great things for God. And the one person that deals with stuff was Moses who gave up stuff in order to follow and pursue the plan of God. And so faith is never going to be about stuff that burns and perishes over time. Faith is going to be about accomplishing a work for the Lord. Faith is going to be, they're going to be souls captured by faith. They're going to be, the kingdom of God is going to be advanced by faith. So you putting your faith in something, make sure it's in God, it's in God's word. And somehow it's accomplishing God's eternal purpose. Put your faith in those sort of things, but don't put your faith in something silly, you know, something that you want. And somebody convinced me, well, God, did you bless me with that BMW? I bring people to church every week. <laughs> it's like, you got to get a BMW to bring folk to church. Why you can't get a Kia <laughs> and bring folk to church in the Kia? You know, so, um, so we want to be mindful of, of how, how faith is, how we're using faith. Uh, some people have abused the idea. So moving forward. Okay, 31. We went to yeah, verse 31. It says, now... They had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aijon. So the people were very faint and the people rushed to the spoil and took sheep, oxen, calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. So he said, you have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. Now, Saul starved them to death. They, now they're, they're cannibals. They're, they, they grabbed these lamb, <laughs> lamb chops. They're just eating it raw. And now that was against the law. The law of God was that you could not eat the food with the blood in it. So now Saul says, hey, hey, he's rebuking folks. Again, I'm looking at this guy. I man, you, you ain't had, you have done nothing except getting God's way. So he's here rebuking the people. He says to them, you have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. Then Saul said 
disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, bring me here every man's ox, every man's sheep, slaughter them here and eat and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Note that he's been going for a while. This is the first altar he built to the Lord. Something you notice as you look at Abraham, everywhere Abraham went, as soon as he got there, first thing he did, first order of business, I'm going to have a place to worship. He built an altar. I want you to note how it wasn't a high priority for Saul, the place of worship. You had to worship God in a prescribed manner, and it just wasn't, it wasn't on top of his list. But this is the first one that he builds. He builds an altar here um, so he can offer these things up and the people could eat. Verse 36. Now Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until morning light and let us not leave a man of them. And uh, they said, do whatever seems good to you. Then the priest said, let us draw near to God here for Saul acts counsel of God. So now uh, the priest, I want you to know this. The priest says, hey, Saul, can we draw near to God, bro? While we're here, let's draw near to God. Priest is like, Man, you, you, we was almost there. And he made me stop. Can we, you know, let's draw near to God here. That's verse the end of verse 36. So verse 37. So Saul asked counsel of God. Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? Note this. But he did not answer him that day. Right. So Saul asked God and God's like, I'm not talking to you, bro. Silence. Why does God not answer him? Right. God dealt with Saul before. He said, you, you already messed up. You're not my king anymore. I'm going to find me somebody else. So Saul is, you know, he haven't gone public with that. He's still out here operating like he's the king. He's the man. And God is like, no, no, you know, God is going to be silent here. Now, a few things. Right. If God is silent, what should you do? Just wait. I'm going to wait. I got to need to hear from you. I'm going to cry out more. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to repent something. But it says the Lord didn't answer him that day in verse 38. And Saul said, come over here, all you chiefs of the people. And see what this sin was today. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. But not a man among all the people answered him. So this goes back there. There now he's trying to figure out who ate of the somebody ate something today. Somebody sinned. And now we're going to do the whole lot casting thing to figure out. And Saul boldly says, if it's me or my son, Jonathan, we'll surely die. Whoever did is going to die. Whoever did the thing today is going to die. Well, he don't know who did it yet. But this is what he said. Now, this is called a rash vow, right? This is a it wasn't something that God required of him. It wasn't something he needed to say. He just made a vow. We don't, I'm somebody, whoever did this is going to die. That was unnecessary. And interesting is that, you know, what all this Saul didn't do, he's going to try to stick to his guns on this, even when he finds out it's his own son. Um, verse 40, it says, then he said to all Israel, you be on one side and my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Therefore, Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And so as the lots are being cast, it goes to Saul and Jonathan. And then it says, Saul said, cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die, exclamation point. And, and again, I mean, you look at this and think now he got to die for eating a little bit of honey because his dad made his dad who didn't have a heart to go to the battle. His dad who jumped in the battle afterwards after he was already getting the win. 
um, made a rash vow. And now, you know, supposedly Jonathan's supposed to die for this. Verse 44, Saul answered, God do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. Can you imagine saying that to your child, to your son, to save face? Because I made a vow, I'm going to keep my word. This man that was too big of a coward to go do any of the real battle, you're going to be bad enough to kill your own kid. What would that do to the, your child? Like, what would that do to your son to hear you talk like that? Well, you're going to die then, son. I said so, and that's what it's going to be. You got to you'll die? You can't backtrack. You can't say, I'm sorry, I messed up, I humble myself. He will die before you humble yourself and retract you know, what you said or acknowledge that he shouldn't have said it. Verse 45, the people have to step in for Jonathan. Praise God for the people. But the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die, who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan and he did not die. Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place. And we're going to stop here. I'll finish the end of the chapter next as we jump in to chapter 15. But I just want to say this. As he ends here, the people have to step in and save Jonathan from his own dad. And it's not a small thing, right? When when people won't put their hand to the plow to do the work of God, they often get busy working against the Lord. Right. Those that won't go fight against the enemy oftentimes will show up in our churches fighting against folk in the church. Um, Rarely is it the person that's focused on the enemy in the battle where it really belongs are going to be fighting against the people of God. We realize our enemy is invisible. And how bad we need it. You get, you get in the battle against the enemy, you realize how much you need the people that are around you in the body. Um, Saul seemed disengaged in that sense, right? Not stirred up to go initially, not stirred up to go and kick it off. But he's making rash vow. He's making life difficult on the people under his care. Nobody can eat. Cursed be the man to eat today. Oh, whoever it is that did it is going to die. Someone's going to die today. On the day that God wrought this great victory, you're going to kill one of his people to make your point. The lessons that we can take from this, again, uh, Saul is our example of just what not, how not to lead, how not to sit around, how not to operate, how, how not to take steps of faith, how not to ruin what God is doing, how not to come against the people that are doing great things for God. So we got all of that from Saul. Let me bring you back to the beginning of our study to Jonathan. Jonathan's the example we want to run with. Jonathan's a man that was saying, man, I was sitting around and I got an armor bearer and I got a weapon and there's some enemies out there and I just want to see what God might do. God may give us the victory through us today, so we're going to go see about it. And he went out and ventured out in faith, and God did a great thing through him. And this is not the first, and it will not be the last time that God does this. Jonathan's growing in his his faith in God. He's growing in his ability to do what God has given him to do. He's going to be useful in the hand of the Lord. And so my prayer for myself, from family of God, for you guys, is that as we take steps of faith, we're going to, it's going to make us more useful. Because there's some things, and I, I want to hammer this last point, last point, I promise. There's some things that you'll never know until you go, right? There are things that God will show you. You won't get it in a book. He's not going to show it to you up front. There's some things that God's like, you, you, you'll get to enjoy and understand that when you go. Um, there's some things that you'll never experience in God until you stretch out in faith. And so I want more and more people to experience the God of the supernatural, God doing the impossible. But I find that God only does the impossible when we've stepped out so far that we need him to, right? I, I got to step out in faith so far that it's like, God, if you don't show up, this is going to fail. I'm going to fall on my face. 
And then God's like, I, I got you. I got you. And he usually at the last minute, so it stressed you out a little bit. But you'll grow in your trust on the Lord. You'll grow in your faith. You'll grow in your understanding of God's faithfulness. It's good to read about it. I promise you, though, it's better to walk it out and experience it in your own life. Amen. You've just heard a transforming word brought to you by Pastor Bill Buffington. First Samuel is where we've been reading, and there's so much to take away from this book. Did you realize that many of the Psalms were written during the time that these events were happening? For much of this book, David was running from Saul. Wouldn't it be strange to be an arch enemy of your best friend's dad? Even though you didn't do anything deserving of death, you feel like a fugitive. And somehow, you found yourself in this situation where you're running for your life. This was much of David's existence in the book of 1 Samuel. He was doing great things, but King Saul was jealous of him and felt threatened by him. So he wanted to remove David completely from the upcoming kingship of Israel. Do you feel like you're on the run, undeserving of the circumstances you're in? Or are you on the other side, feeling jealous and insecure about another person, looking for their downfall? In either case, these two men needed God's help. One chose to rely on God, and the other turned away. Which direction will you choose? If you like the message you just heard, we're so glad. You'll find more solid teachings like this one from Pastor Bill Buffington at calvaryinglewood.org. Will you prayerfully consider spreading the good news with us? If this interests you, you can find the Give tab on our website. Don't forget, that's calvaryinglewood.org. This ministry is an outpouring of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Thanks for listening today to A Transforming Word.